710 ESPN presents The Experience, the Experience. with Lafern Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Lafern Cusack. Lafern Cusack. Well, there's a new book being published on the National Day of Forgiveness, which is next week, October 23rd. It's called Affluenza Forgiven. This book tells the story of Tim Williams' friendship with Ethan Couch, the teen who killed his best friend while driving drunk and who was once known as the Affluenza Kid. What would you do if a drunk driver killed your best friend? and then avoided jail time based on the premise that he was too wealthy to know the difference between right and wrong. After youth pastor Brian Jennings was killed in a crash that took three others' lives, his friend, Tim Williams, felt compelled to meet with that drunk driver and teach him about forgiveness. Williams didn't want to forgive, but he knew it was the best thing. And this is the amazing story of what happened when he did. Now, Tim Williams is a man of many interests. He has worked for three of the top banks in the U.S. as a bank officer and investment advisor, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. He currently serves as an energy analyst, and he and his wife, Tiffany, are one of two preferred breeders of golden doodle puppies in Texas. His faith has always been important to him, and Tim has served as a youth pastor at two churches in Texas and California. A dad to four sons and a husband to Tiffany, who is a fourth-grade math teacher, Tim also enjoys singing and sailing on North Texas lakes. Experience never stops. never stops on your station, 710 ESPN. Here's Laferne Cusack. Please welcome Tim Williams. He's the author of the book Affluenza Forgiven, which is going to be released October 23rd, the National Forgiveness Day. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Laferne. I appreciate that very much. So glad to be here. Tell us about uh, Affluenza Forgiven. Well, our book, Affluenza Forgiven, really begins to detail some of the journey that I began when my best friend was killed uh, almost seven years ago and how, obviously, it was a great tragedy and how it affected many lives beyond our family and, and my best friend's wife and their kids and and his mom and sisters. So, I mean, it's... It was a very widespread uh, impact because a lot of people uh, died in that accident. So, um, you know, even trying to personally walk through it in just a way to support, you know, his family was such a such a primary thing and and is um, so important because, as you've probably heard and a lot of us have heard, 
everyone heals kind of on their own timeline, right? So mm-hmm. um, what I tried to do in my book here is to, to just really kind of journal and talk about uh, what it was like for me and what kind of got me to uh, meeting with uh, Ethan and and why maybe um, I worked really hard on, on really trying to help people see that, that forgiveness is not really just an event because, I mean, you know, it can be an event for you or for me, but it's really an op- option. You know, it's something that's available for any listener. Uh, I know quite often, um, even myself, you know, just we hear a story and we, we think, oh, that's nice, and we dismiss it and we move on. And so I was really hoping to see that this is something that, that people can have applied to their life. And really, that's because of, of um, some folks that reached out to me uh, over the last, even just two years, two and a half, three years, mm-hmm. where the simple hearing of my journey uh, helped them to be set free from their own past, their own pains in the past, or their own abuses from the past. So I, I realized I, I probably have to tell the story. And uh, maybe like a lot of people, you kind of resist what uh, you need to be doing for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you go, okay, well, let's... Let's dive into this. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't do that. It's like some people mask the pain or don't even know that they may be in that state of pain and need to journal or need to write like, you know, you and, 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 and minister to the person that, you know, uh, caused this pain. Well, that's true. There's all, all kinds of uh, methods that people use to cope with a problem, right? I mean, tragedy or loss or betrayal or whatever the situation may be. There, there could be a sense of injury a person holds on to for years or a sense of loss. And, um, you know, it's a big deal just that, you know, we teach our boys, hey, you got to be real with whatever's going on. You know, mm-hmm. you like this, you don't like this, uh, you, this is fun, this is not fun, you know, but you still might, might have to just do what you need to do anyway. You know, you got to be responsible. And so what what I found in my journey was that, um, you know, forgiveness is kind of offensive to most people. But um, as an individual, you, you it, it's healthy to deal with forgiveness. You know, it, it it's not something to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can offend our own senses. I mean, my goodness, we all cry out for justice immediately anytime something's wrong. Right. And, you know, that's our that's. But we see a lot in our culture right now. It's just this justice or that justice. And I understand the need for it. I mean, we want things to be righted, you know, and as soon as possible, please. Right. Um, but, you know, I've, I've found that quite often, even if, even if a person has a situation and let's say they, it's a criminal problem and let's say they get justice from the criminal system and, and their perpetrator uh, is, is properly punished. Uh, you still get to deal with forgiveness. Right. I mean, criminal justice doesn't necessarily right the wrong. And, and in our situation, we're faced with the, the sad, difficult realities. Our our friend, our brother, husband, dad, you know, he doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. And so you you, you got to figure out a way to, to move forward. And I've just seen that forgiveness is kind of the only way forward. Otherwise, you get stuck. Yes. So. Well, Tim, can you t- tell us about your friend, Brian Jennings, who? Yeah, Brian. Uh, Brian and I grew up together. 
and uh, went to the same high school. He was a couple of years older than me, and Brian, uh, you know, in the younger years was an awesome dancer, and even in his older years was an awesome dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he's really into that. Uh, Brian uh, became a, a youth minister, um, you know, in his early 20s, and really devoted his life to working with kids uh, a lot like even Ethan. And so, you know, Brian was a, was a, was a large bit, uh, a large piece of, of why I, I would reach out to someone like Ethan, because I know Brian would have done it. And so Brian, uh, you know, really worked closely with um, the, an orphanage we visited um, south of the border here in Texas, and it, it became a, an annual or more than annual event. And and just living a lifestyle to reach out and to be a giver and, and help restore and to to bring forgiveness was, was a part of who he was. When all of this took place and they were calling, they were calling Ethan affluenza teen, what was going through your mind at that time? Well, that, that word came up during the first trial and you know, he that concept of affluenza was introduced as a, as a part of the defense for Ethan's actions. You know, Ethan from the beginning, he and his team, you know, they said Ethan was was guilty, and uh, and you, you might say affluenza was was uh, a way to explain the the lack of responsibility on Ethan's part into the court. Um, and as you know, the media and our culture and a lot of cultures around the world found that to be just horribly offensive to to imply or to say directly that that, that they're too wealthy to have been taught right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I've said many times that just never flew. It doesn't fly with me. You know, the opposite isn't true either. Right. You know, if you're, you're not too you're not too poor to know right from wrong. And I've 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 said before. Look, I'm pretty sure. Anybody who goes through kindergarten is taught that that you're still responsible. Right. <laughs> you know, this is kindergarten 101 stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my son's eight. He understands. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and what kid who's eight or, or a teenager of various ages, what, you know, we what kid doesn't say uh, whatever mouthload of excuses, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I didn't know or. Or, or whatever they feel like saying to get away with some irresponsibility. But, um, you know, that's really just kind of the root of, of affluenza is to claim, I think, someone was too wealthy to know better. Yeah. I, it, I, when it came out, uh, my head was like, what? <laughs> I, could, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. But I think you, you're absolutely right. It goes back to you know, how we we are accepting what reality is and not denying who we are, not denying our pain, not denying, you know, our actions, what, it, what you know, we're raised with, you know, every action has a, you know, reaction uh, or consequences to whatever you do. And you learn from that. And when you resist the learning, I think that's when you can get stunted. And you you said you have four four sons, right? How how do you go about yeah. teaching that to them? Well, I think as a as a 
as a dad who works to stay engaged, when you when you hear your son or you know we have sons, but if you hear your daughter, you know making uh, up reasons uh, that are really excuses as to why irresponsibility is occurring or why the wrong choice was made. It's it's a it, there's various levels of confrontation. I mean, some of us had good coaches growing up, like football coaches, you know, and mm-hmm. and and their confrontation style is is loud and. I'm not discussing anything. You cut it out now, right? Right. <laughs> and then there's there's other methods of parents or coaches, and there might be a, a little bit longer dialogue to help some kiddo come to terms with, uh, hey, you need to cut this out. You know, mm-hmm. stop with the stop with the excuse making. So the the delivery method can can wide wide can vary pretty wide, but but I think the the concept is to is to really. Uh, confront with some love and, and confront sometimes with uh, some directness and then sometimes co- confront with some indirectness. So can you talk about your journey to talking with Ethan and how you came to, I guess, your your reality with it, with the whole situation? Sure. Well, yeah, you know, when I went um, to the initial trials, um and the outcome was probation. Um, personally, myself and our, our, my good friend Kevin, just very upset, very disappointed in that um, decision. Uh, I certainly felt like justice was not happening, that the right was not getting made wrong in any sense. Um, but it took a few weeks to kind of work through that and talk through that. And um, we all kind of saw that. Uh, things where it needed to be kind of further exposed with the dynamics whenever he ran off to Mexico. You know, that that seemed to be part of the justice process was to kind of have some exposure come to uh, to what what goes on. And and so when he was gone to Mexico, I realized I probably do need to reach out to him. And, and talk to him about forgiveness and talk to him about his life. And, and of course, this was under the kind of the premise that I think this is what Brian would be doing. And, um, you know, his his return and, and transfer to the juvenile court and then the adult court after he was picked up in Mexico, um, I, I just, I bumped into the sheriff a few times. And I, and I, when I say bumped into him, I mean, it was a physical, accidental uh, you know, bump into the guy, and he did it once to me, and I did it to him. Wow! I realized, oh, I guess I need to just come out and ask this question. It kept happening, and uh, I just said, hey, you know, can I meet with the the young man? And and he made these big, wide eyed, bug eyed look at me, and I said, oh, wait a minute, I'm just, I want the glass in between us. Do not misunderstand the <laughs> question here. Right. I don't want to reach out and touch this kid. Uh, and so you know, we went through that process, and 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 you know, did the proper channels and background check and all that and so was able to start visiting with him and the first visit was uh with him in solitary for a couple of months actually and so those visits were all video screen based so you go down there and you sit in front of a kind of an old-fashioned tv monitor encased in stainless steel and you have yourself a, a video conference mm. did you have any expectations on your first visit with them Oh, no, I really suspended all expectations other than uh, just expecting to talk about uh, maybe myself or expecting to talk a little bit about Brian or talk about just kind of the general nature of who are you and where are you going, 
you know, because uh, I certainly didn't. I, I, I acknowledge that. You know, I don't know this kid. You know, I know what is, is said on the news. I know what I've, you know, visually observed here, but I don't, I don't know who he is or what he's about. You know, this could be horrible. This could be encouraging. This could be hopeful. Get, I could get up and walk out, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was all over the board. Right. And what happened at the uh, with the first visit? Well, the first, first visit, I just spoke with him about uh, myself, my connection to the situation through Brian and being at the trial and, and being at the, the transfer trials from the Mexico uh, hearings. And really didn't uh, set out much of a ex- framework or expectation except to say, you know, Brian was a youth pastor and um, just if, if there's any basis for us to talk a second time, then let's talk. And, and then at the end of that first meeting, he said, oh, yeah, let's visit. Hmm. And of course, I was pretty surprised that, uh, that he, he said that. And so we got together a second time and then I had to kind of frame out, okay, what are we going to be doing here? Right. What are we, what, what am I, what am I trying to accomplish here? And I've had people say, oh, Tim, did you do this because you needed something or you needed closure or you, you know, there's various, you know, motivations I think people have. And I, I really, I just, I didn't have any of those. I just thought I've just got to, I've got to see this kid. I need to, who is he? What, what in the world's happening here? And, you know, additionally, I would really wanted to see if these kind of shenanigans could stop, you know, because it's hurtful to the, to the other victims to see this uh, kiddo run off to Mexico. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody needs any more salt on the wound. So let's, so that was a little bit, you know, I just wondered, is there any hope here for this kid? Is that what you felt on your initial contact with them or did that develop a long time? Well, the first visit, I thought, well, there's quite, quite a bit of glimmer of hope here. We'll see if that materializes. You know, all of us can seem a little bit too hopeful in the first or second visit with anybody, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I was like, you know, oh, this is going to be awesome. I don't know. Maybe it won't be. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, no, I, I felt like, you know, okay, we got some glimmer of hope. There might be some uh, some way to get to know him. There might be some way for us to talk. There might, you know, it turns out that was accurate. Mm. How did that feel for you to, you know, go through that state of forgiveness for, you know, this man who took the life of your best friend? Well, it was quite the roller coaster. Um, I had already worked through personally my sense of forgiveness, right, or my decisions of forgiveness before I even met with him. Um, you know, I'm sure some people would need to meet their their person that's their, hurt them. They may have, someone may have to talk to them a few more times. But personally, I had walked through that already mm-hmm. with, with the young man. Um, but, you know, getting to know him as a person uh, and a young, at the time, I think it was, you know, he just turned 18 when I think I first met him. Um, it, it, in that situation, and it was a little bit helpful to get to know him and to you know, look at him eye to eye. And, and after a couple of months of the solitary visits, we then you know moved to visits where there was just a glass, right? So you know, you're literally just separated by a piece of plexiglass. And uh, so that had its own dynamic. But uh, I don't know. I hope that kind of gives some insight. Yeah, definitely. And then it's like, you know, People were talking about how this young man is not accepting, you know, what he has done. But, you know, how we talk about, you know, raising our sons or, you know, our our daughters uh, to take responsibility 
you know, you have parents that are there saying nothing's going to happen to my son and we're going to throw money at this as much as we can to save our son from the ultimate, you know, thing of accepting what reality is, which Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, hurts, hurts you overall. You, you have no room for growth. You have no room to learn from your mistakes. Oh yeah. We, um, in our home, we we work pretty hard on, uh, I guess we've done this for, I don't know, 10 plus, 15 years. I don't know exactly. But we've worked really diligently to help have our sons uh, in in more, quote, kind of controlled failures. Mm. Um, you know, when they get 18 or 22 or somewhere in that zone, the failures aren't controlled anymore. But but if they're a little bit controlled in the house, it's it's kind of like, you know, if you're if you're into like remote controlled airplanes or drones or something, if you, if you're flying around and practicing in a field with three foot tall of grass, you know, and it crashes, the grass is going to break its fall a little bit and it won't destroy the, you know, the drone or whatever. And so when your kid's still at home, you still have some of that padding to help them have a softer landing. But I think it's, you know, just not healthy for your kid to teach them that the padding is always going to be there. It won't be there. They right. won't have the, the parental cover or padding, if you want to call it that. Right. Uh, you know, when they're 18 or 22 or 29, or what, it goes away. Right. And that's the point, <laughs> is to say, hey, you know, I mean, one of our jokes is, you know, most kids go through puberty at 12, 13, 14 or so. And then uh, it's kind of like, well, you're a grown-up now. <laughs> you can yes. reproduce. I know you don't look like a grown-up per se yet, and you don't think like one yet, but... Uh, it could happen, so you got to be responsible. Tim, what do you think of uh, that? The people that can get your book now and read it, what what do you want them to get from your book? Well, you know, I think my largest hope that someone would get from the book is that forgiveness is really an, a, a modern and an ancient concept that uh, can work in kind of a transactional way. And I think a lot of people don't view it as a transactional um, concept. I think forgiveness quite often has been presented as a, you should do this. You should do it because of you and that you should forgive because it's good for you. And there's a lot of ways that the concept is presented, but, but I learned uh, in my journey that forgiveness is really not conditioned upon the guilty person. Um, we would all love to have that person own their behavior but, you know, frankly, in life, that doesn't happen that often, right? Right. You know, and so because it doesn't happen much, we want to be real with how to how to deal with things in life with our sons and ourselves. And and we, we work towards these ideals and, and goals and say, well, okay, I'm going to say to you that you're forgiven and I'm moving forward. And you can do what you want with this piece of paper, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, <laughs> you can You can say, I didn't do anything wrong. You could say, I'm, I'm sorry, thank you for forgiving me, or the, and of course, I'm speaking like the guilty person or whatever, but, <laughs> but on that side of the table, you know, they can own it or they can throw it away. Right. And, and, but at the end of the day, I know I've, I've done my part, right? I've, I'm free from this and, and, and I can, I can choose to do this. And so some of the genesis for this for me is, is, is some people that are, in the acquaintance zone with me and they've, they've heard my journey and they've, 
they've called me or they've come up to me and, and talked about how they they heard the stories and they, they thought through these things that I've talked about. And then, then somehow they've just spontaneously forgiven and they don't know what happened to them. And, and that's not every case, of course. But uh, I'll, I'll never forget this one um, lady I talked to quite a bit about the story. And, and she lives over on the East Coast. And she was telling me she runs every day now because of COVID. She has nothing else to do. So she's <laughs> running. <laughs> we talked. And then five days later, she calls and goes, well, it happened. I just forgave my family member who I've blocked uh-huh. 20 years of all these problems that they create. You know, it's her, her side of it. And and all of a sudden, she's like, I don't even know what happened. I was just running. I just started crying. Aww. And I said, hey, you know, whatever form it comes in, it's good, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> so so there's a lot of kind of, you know, ways this can happen in life. Some people have to do it kind of, you know, gritting their teeth and bearing it, making a decision. And and then sometimes, um, you know, it's a little bit more natural. But yeah. And, it just depends. And uh, speaking Speaking of COVID, um, so, you know, there, we have had a lot of time to reflect, or I, I could just say I have, uh, reflect on what we do, how we handle things, and seeing what pains that we may have experienced in the past that we're still holding on to. And with those pains or circumstances, it I feel it like gets held up in your body, in your muscles, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it just stays there. And without you releasing it, it just it just keeps going and keeps going. And no matter what you say, if okay, I for I forgive you. I believe what you just said, Tim. If you for, you you forgive yourself, you forgive the situation and we don't have any expectations on other people because, you know, I can't force anybody to do anything that they want, but you know what? I release you in love. I, I forgive you because if I don't forgive you, I can't forgive myself and move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I, you know, if forgiveness doesn't happen, forward movement is not going to happen, even though we can all say it has happened. Right? Mm-hmm. We can all fool ourselves. Uh, you're reminding me of one of my uh, stories is is kind of found in an a ancient metaphor where uh, if you would imagine someone needs to borrow some money so they can plant their crops, hypothetically, right, you mm-hmm. know, a long time ago, the, uh, the banker, the old-fashioned banker might lend the money. But then that banker would come around once a month for their payment. Mm. Now, in the old days, that, that this is a real occurrence, and they would come with their cart. And their donkey was pulling their cart, and it would, the cart is full of clay tablets, and the banker would pull out your clay tablet and say, well, here's the rest of your payment. Uh, I need the payment today, and you'd scratch it off the clay tablet. And I actually learned this as a former banker. My first job as a bank officer in Texas, this was one of the, the lessons of, of going through banking as a kind of a cultural phenomenon. But uh, at the end of the time with the ancient banker and the clay tablet, you paying off your debt that you needed, right? You you needed to get the money to to do your business. Yes. Uh, at the end of the time, though, that old banker would hand you the clay tablet, and you would be able to take that clay tablet and shatter it at the feet of the banker, and just say it's canceled, mm. right? And if you can imagine, there's a lot of us that have debts every month, and it could be 
your mother or your father or your an ex or whomever, and they come calling, you know, once a month or every week or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, you're you're kind of faced with the debt that that person has caused to come into existence. Yes. And so I found that that what if you look at forgiveness as a transaction, you realize this person that I really dislike or has hurt or harmed, you know, they're causing a, a clay tablet to be formed all the time. They're causing this debt to come up. And I'm just going to be done with that debt. And I, I know, like, you, you and I both know we can go to a lot of folks and, and ask them to say they're sorry or ask them to make things right, and they're never going to pay up on that debt, right? Right. Right? That's just not going to happen. <laughs> so because that isn't going to happen, now we now have a confrontation with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Are we going to try to collect on their debt every month? <laughs> are we going to be hung up in that every month? Or are we just going to shatter that and go, hey, you don't owe me anymore. It's done. You don't owe me. And it, 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 that's the freedom that comes with forgiveness is a simple shattering of the debt, the clay tablet, right? Yes. And, and you know, there's a secondary conversation that comes up of, of you know, healthy interactions with that kind of a person or or, you know, keeping myself safe from that person. That's a whole secondary conversation. But but in a transactional singular sense, you know, looking at forgiveness is, hey, these debts are happening from or Jimmy or Sally, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm never going to collect on those. Yep. They're never going to make it right. They're never going to pay it off. Never. <laughs> so I got to go forward. I'm just going to. And, you know, in kind of the banker accounting world, ultimately, people or organizations just, quote, write it off, right? They just cancel it. They just move on because they know this is never happening, right? Yes. And they just they just move forward. So. Wow. Well, Tim, tell us how we can get Affluenza Forgiven, which, again, sure. releases October 23rd, National Forgiveness Day. Yeah. Um, well, it's going to be accessible on our website, which is overcominggrace.com, on October 23rd, it will also be uh, available at Amazon.com on October 23rd, and maybe even o- the day or two before. But, but you know, technically, it comes out on the 23rd. Awesome. Awesome. And you are working with a lot of puppies. <laughs> we are working <laughs> with lots of puppies. We, we are breeders of golden doodles, and we currently have... Oh, my goodness. I think as of a few hours ago, we had 11 puppies. Oh. I think one of the families came this morning and got their puppy. I oh. think we have one getting their puppy, you know, in just a little bit. So we'll be down to nine. And uh, so we have one mama. She uh, births puppies that have all black hair. And maybe they have some, like, white spots on their neck or their feet. Oh. And then the other mama, she, is, she births puppies that are golden or they are white with brown spots. So cute. You sent me a text this morning with the, one of the puppies. I was like, oh, my God, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're called Golden Golden Doodles, and that's our website, goldengoldendoodles.com. And uh, the same name on Facebook. And of course, Facebook probably has a lot more media, a lot more cool pictures and cute little running around with puppies and things. Oh, fantastic. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for sharing your story, sharing your friend with us, and sharing forgiveness. Well, you bet. Thank you for having me on here. It's a pleasure for sure. Yes. Again, Tim Williams, author of Affluenza Forgiven. You bet. I'm LaFern Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. 
You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on ESPN LA 710.